Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we talk everything about anything, and we put it through a framework of education and developing a strong curriculum, if that's the kind of thing that you're looking to use this for. My name is Pete Romberg. I am an uh, bike racing uh, survivor, and with me this week are... Uh, I'm Martha Sullivan, and today I am a professional guinea pig wrangler. <laughs> Better than being a professional guinea pig. True. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's true, because I know how my guinea pigs live their lives, and they are really living their best lives. <laughs> um, and Kaylee Scouten, house declutterer. Oh, nice. Are you putting everything into your gently cupped hands and deciding whether or not it brings you joy? I, you know what? I kind of am. Um, a lot of it has not brought me joy. So I went and dropped a whole bunch of stuff off at Goodwill, and I'm like, bye. Good for you. Nice. That is so impressive to me. <laughs> it's it, I, I, it opened up the floodgates, and I realized that there's a lot more stuff. And just, <laughs> why do I have so much stuff? <laughs> it is kind of a nice feeling to to do a big purge like that and look around and think like, oh, yeah, I've got more room now. Yeah. I am it, overdue for one. It took, it got to the point for me where it was like, this is my house, not my stuff's house. So we need to like have a talk. <laughs> nice. Well, good. I'm glad that it's working for you. Thank you. Me too. Uh, well, uh, we're going to get started uh, with the episode. Today we're talking about leaders and leadership. But before we do that, it's only fair that we share with you our pop culture credentials. These are the most recent pieces of media that we have consumed. Uh, Kaylee, I'm going to start with you. What is your pop culture credential for this episode? My pop culture credential is I decided that I needed to watch all of the current seasons of Adventure Time starting from the beginning. So that's what I've been doing. I think I'm on like episode 11 of the first season because I just started like Friday. But Is this a rewatch for you? Because I, I think you assigned some Adventure Time for us uh, many moons ago, correct? I did. I, I believe I did. Yes. Um, this. So I've I've seen I know I've seen the first season before or at least most of it. Um, so I'm. And then I lost sort of my source for being able to watch it. So now that I have Hulu, I'm basically starting from the beginning and just powering through it. All right, nice. Yeah. Well, uh, Martha, how about you? What is your pop culture credential? Uh, well, in preparation of a podcast live show that I'm going to be going to on August 9th, I have been listening, I've been getting caught up with a show called Lore. Uh, by Aaron Mankey, which is a podcast about like the supernatural kind of underbelly of American folklore. So he started the series talking about like vampire and ghost and werewolf werewolf myths, like how they uh, grew in our own fo folklore. So like the histories that they have um, in actual like. Like when people were actually digging bodies up because they mm. thought that they were vampires. Mm. Um, he has expanded into uh, just like weird, um, morbid, like the, the more morbid history, corners of history. So like the one I'm listening to right now is about H.H. H. Holmes 
but after like post uh, World's Fair. So like what happened to him after Ooh. the murder hotel, like where he went and the shit that he did. Sorry, the stuff that he did um, post that. I mean, the answer is he still killed a lot of people, but we tend to only we tend to focus on the murder hotel. So it's been really interesting to talk about or listen to um, the kind of lesser known dastardly deeds. Uh, but yeah, he does a lot of stuff about like witches and weird superstitions and diseases and all sorts of like mm. weird macabre spooky stuff that is just totally my jam. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like it has my number too. I might have to check that out. I'm really sad that I currently have a huge podcast backlog because this also sounds right up my alley. Yeah. The really cool thing about lore is that the episodes are like 30 to 40 minutes long. So they're not, they're not a huge commitment. I can get through two on my commute to work. It's great. 30 minutes is kind of the perfect length of a time for a podcast episode. Wouldn't you agree, fellow hosts of an hour long (laughs) podcast? (laughs) Uh, For... I would agree that 30 minutes is perfect for a weekly podcast, of which we are not one, so... <laughs> double the wait time, double the episode length. Uh, double like the fun. the Dan Carlin hardcore history solution of if you just only put out a podcast once every six months at the quickest, they can be five hours long. <laughs> I was gonna say, he can make them however long he wants. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> which well, I say... Dan, if you're listening, which I say only with the utmost respect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, my pop culture credential teased a little bit in my intro. Um, yesterday and uh, Friday night was a 24-hour relay bike race through my neighborhood, slash also sort of neighborhood party. Um, this is the 10th year that it has been happening. It's called the River West 24. Uh, it's, you know, I-, I live in Milwaukee. That's where it is. Uh, this is the 10th year it's been happening, of which I have raced in, I think this was my 6th, um, and then volunteered for one um, that I wasn't able to, to actually race in. It's an absolute blast. Um, this particular race I set my personal lap time, which was fantastic. Mm. It combines doing just laps with also doing a bunch of community events for bonus laps. So um, we, you know, it, there was one where it's like, take uh, basically bust apart some old wooden shipping crates because they're going to remake those into, like, park bench furniture or something. Um, and they just need the manpower to go in and bust up all the shipping crates. Um, how this ties into my actual pop culture credential is that I created a playlist to play as I was writing, just throw it on my speaker, put the phone on, and put it in my back pocket and go. Um, it was a, a lot of you know, Chicago hip-hop artists. It was also just a lot of good, like, dance, pump-up, the, the jams music, LCD sound system, Robin. Uh, jock jams. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, not jock jams, like hipster jams. <laughs> um, so so that is the most recent thing that I've consumed and also the most recent thing that I've done. Pete, remind me at some point, I want to talk to you about how this event works because I... I'm thinking I want to turn it into some kind of library program. Ooh. So I'd love to get like the the play-by-play breakdown of how it works. Because we wouldn't be able to do a 24-hour thing. Right. But I feel like the bones of a good library volunteer program are in there. So you and I should talk about it sometime. Speaking of that, um, this particular year, one of the bonus checkpoints was at a library hosted by uh, uh, the local library 
where it was um, a book reading. So some people who got there read children's books about bikes to other people who got there. Um, adults Aww. reading books to adults, but the pictures are very cute. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> they also have a community kids... story time. Exactly. I love it. They also do a kids 24, which is 24 minutes. Um, and just two age Ooh. brackets. You have like serious, like five-year-old kids just riding in circles at a local school <laughs> as like volunteers <laughs> help them and make it fun. Um, so th there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good community stuff going on at the same time that you have bike racing and, and partying. So, uh, but yeah, we'll talk about it later. Uh, first, however, before uh, uh, Martha and I talk about this off the air, uh, we can talk air, about yes. our actual <laughs> topic, which is leaders and leadership. Um, what we're going to be discussing today and focusing on today are sort of three big themes. The first is what traits do effective leaders tend to have? And as a sidebar to that, are those traits the same between real-life leaders and fictional leaders. This might even end up with us creating two separate lists, one effective uh, character leadership traits in the sense of uh, fictional characters, and the others being actual leaders in our daily lives. Uh, the other one, uh, next topic, is what makes people follow a leader? And finally, our third topic is, is it dangerous to glorify leadership? And in a related note, there's a big emphasis in our society that everyone should be a leader. You, especially in schools, there's lots of leadership, um, character development. There's a sense of like everyone in the classroom should step up and be a leader. Um, is that good? Is that something that we should be focusing on as a society? How do our medias uh, come at that? Are there any downsides to it? Um, as a quick reminder, uh, let's go around real quick and talk about our homeworks to re-familiarize ourselves and the listeners with what exactly we're talking about. Uh, Martha, I'll have you go first. Sure. So for my homework this week, I assigned the novel Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, which was written in 1971 by Robert C. O'Brien. Uh, this is the story of Mrs. Frisbee, who is a mouse who is on a quest to save her son, Timothy, uh, from pneumonia. Um, and... Uh, in the process of doing so, starts to discover the kind of secret history of her dead husband uh, and his connection to a group of rats and a mental health institution, uh, the rats whom end up being the key to uh, saving her son's life. All right. Um, Kaylee, thoughts on the book? Oh, I loved this book. It was the first time I'd ever actually read the book. I did watch the movie as a kid, um, and I thought that the book was way better than at least from what I remember of the movie. Um, I think Mrs. Frisbee is a great leader, but I, I find it interesting how it kind of... At one point in the book, as um, Nicodemus is telling her the history of her husband, it sort of flips from it being about Mrs. Frisbee to being about Nicodemus and Justin. Yeah. yeah Justin is another rat. Yes. Um, yeah. So real fast, like I know that my, my summary was pretty bare bones, but real fast, what you learn is that um, Mrs. Frisbee's husband was a mouse involved in experiments along with a group of rats, which are the, the titular rats of Nim uh, to, which basically caused the, the experiments involved injections, um, 
which made them really, really smart. So you have a group of rats that is that are um, just as, if not smarter, than humans. Um, but one of the things I really like about this book is that it, I think, Pete, it displays a lot of different kinds of leadership. Like you have you have the rats who have set up like their society, um, and the the leaders of that society. But then you also have Mrs. Frisbee, who I think in her own sort of quieter way, you get to see be the leader for her family. Um, and because you, you also you know, have the owl, who is sort of the leader of the, the very loose bird community. True. The, the um, Jeremy the Crow, who Mrs. Frisbee saves, uh, looks to the owl as kind of a de facto leader of the bird world, <laughs> which was kind of fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, Mrs. Frisbee ends up having, I think she has to make a lot of leadership type decisions uh, because, um, you know, Timothy, has, Timothy, her son, has pneumonia. And, you know, the whole big question is if he has to go outside when they have to move to evade the farmer's plow, he's going to die. So how does she... Um, save her son in a way that is also going to take care of the rest of her family. Uh, so I, I liked seeing that kind of quieter version of leadership alongside the more obvious, like these are the rats who have set up their own society, which has a hierarchy and bureaucracy and all of that. And it also does a good job at, at illustrating and, and bringing to the forefront family leadership so often when we think of leadership, we think of it in governmental or business situations, um, which are, are what our other two homeworks sort of look at. Uh, but this is one where we have leadership uh, through a different lens. Yeah, like Mrs. Frisbee has to make decisions like, does she tell her other children how much danger they're in? Does she tell Timothy how much danger they're in? Does she, you know, what kind of decisions does she have or what kind of actions is she going to take to do what she needs to do when those actions themselves could result in her death? And then where would her family be? So, you know, these decisions were sort of generalized are the same kinds, just on a smaller scale of decisions that like political leaders have to make. But I mean, obviously affecting a smaller group of people and in sort of a more domestic context. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thoroughly loved this book. Uh, it had been a long time since I'd read it. Uh, like, I was a child last time I read it. The one thing that surprised me is up until I was like two-thirds of the way through, I was certain that it was written by a British person and set in Britain. Uh, so no, did I. Totally American. <laughs> I don't, really? I, I haven't the slightest idea why I thought that, oh, but Kaylee, I'm glad you I was also gonna thought that. I was going to say, Farmer Fitzgibbon and his kids are like total middle America, like Illinois farmers. That was the part <laughs> where I was like, oh, this now feels American. <laughs> I had no idea why. I just assumed it was British as well. <laughs> I think a lot of the um, kind of not animals as people because these are still animals as animals, but like the and, Redwall books and, and is Watership Down by a British person? I, I assume it is, but I was wrong on this. So, <laughs> and like Beatrix Potter who wrote Peter Rabbit, like a lot of the kind of animal fable type books we read as children, I think are by British authors. This one just happens to not be. 
Watership Down, definitely British. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to our next homework then. Kaylee, go ahead and tell us about your homework assignment. All right. So my homework assignment was an episode of the used to be Fox TV show Firefly, um, specifically season nine. So if season only, if only Sorry. season nine. Oh, if only. <laughs> only season nine. Like say, the, first, the first eight seasons. I only, I only jumped in so fast because it's like, ooh, guys, don't add us. <laughs> don't. <laughs> we, we know. We know. <laughs> Sorry. Let me start that over again from the beginning. Okay, so my no homework. Worries. <laughs> my homework for this is for this week was the ninth episode of season one of the X Fox TV show Firefly, which was directed by Alan Croker and written by Jose Molina. And of course, Firefly was created by Joss Whedon. All that fun stuff. Okay, so um, plot summary. The crew of the Serenity is headed towards a big major world, which everyone's like, woohoo, major world. And But Mal is like, guys, wait. This could be dangerous. But everyone is like, I'm sorry, I'm the best at descriptions today. <laughs> it's okay, keep it short. Keep That's it short. Fun. Okay, so the crew of the Serenity land on the planet Ariel. And one of their crew members, Simon, mentions that he has a job for them to break into this giant national global hospital so that he can use one of their, uh, so he can use their equipment to get a better read on his sister. Um, And meanwhile, while he's there, everyone can steal all of the drugs and medication from the hospital so that they can later sell it for more money. Which is pretty much then exactly what happens. Yes. Pretty much. (laughs) Give Uh, or take a little bit of hiccup, but... uh, This is my second favorite episode of this show. Alright, we we need to fight about this because this is my first favorite episode of the show. And that is definitely (laughs) something we should argue about. (laughs) I was going to say, favorite is not equivalent to best. Mm, I just want to... no, I have a I have a I'm, deep, I'm giving, I'm giving deep and abiding anyway. love for the episode Heart of Gold, which is not relevant to this uh, discussion right now. Um, but no, one of the things I love about this episode is that Simon doesn't get to be in charge a lot. And this episode kind of shows, I mean, we get to hear a lot throughout the show how smart he and his sister are. And I think that this episode really showcases like, he knows what he's doing. He gets to be the one. He's he's the operative in a, like a heist movie. He's got the map and he's got the plan and he knows exactly what everyone needs to do, like what everybody's role needs to be. Um, and I, I think it's just it's a really good showcase in a way that the rest. It's a really good showcase for him in a way that he doesn't get a whole lot throughout the rest of the show. And I love Simon like a lot. He's a pretty cool dude. You you mentioned that he's like the operative in a heist movie, and I love this episode because it's a heist movie condensed to yeah. 40 snappy minutes. <laughs> um, it, it also does a great job at showing, again, different types of leadership. Having Simon, who, as you said, usually is in the background, sort of crop up as the lead. But then you also have Mal dealing with a 
mutinous, traitorous, however you want to describe him, um, subordinate in Jane. Um, I also love this episode because you get good character development out of everyone. Yeah, the Jane thing doesn't really pop up until the very end. Right. For Mel, um, when he, yeah, you do get to see him be like, I'm the captain and I'm protecting my crew, which is the sort of leadership that we see from him throughout the show. I think it's one of his big uh, character arcs is, you know, putting together this family. And th that being said, though, this is sort of the more darker angle that it can take. And we can talk about this more as we get to that discussion question. But he's he's doing what he always says he does and will do. But since it's against even one of his own, it's in a way even darker. And Mal is a darker character than he appears at first blush. Um, so it is oh, sort absolutely. of all, all of a, a, you know, part and parcel with him. But yeah, it's his it's his moment to say, like, when I talk about the needs of my crew being first and foremost, like that is true even and maybe even especially when a member of that crew is a threat. Yes. All right. Well, that feels like a good rundown of our three homework assignments. Let's get into the discussion questions then. Well, Pete. Yes. Yo. You didn't describe your homework assignment. <laughs> well, let's just move right past that one. <laughs> uh, thank you Were for you not like, a fan? please. <laughs> please don't. Please don't um, deny us a chance to fight over Red Sun. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, thank you for that transition and reminder. Um, my homework assignment was 2003 graphic novel by Mark Millar, Superman Red Sun. It is an alternative universe uh, graphic novel. I'm sure there's a specific term for that. Um, where basically the gimmick is instead of landing in Kansas, uh, the space pod that carries the baby Clark Kent Superman lands in the Ukraine in 1938. And so Superman is raised as a model communist rather than an American. Um, it explores him as he first enters the stage uh, as an adult in Moscow, putting on Superman shows for, you know, the working man. Um, by shows, I mean, like, stopping, you know, he's doing all the Superman things. He's s saving people from trains and, and falling airplanes and, and doing all that. Uh, we get to see all the normal Superman cast of characters in wildly different settings. Um, and we also get to see that there are some just basic, uh, Millar would postulate that there are just some basic intrinsic aspects of Superman's character that carry through whether he's a uh, capitalist American, a communist Russian, it doesn't matter where he is born. Some things are different, but some things are still the same. Uh, Mark Millar is a very divisive comic book author. Um, this book, I think, might be a little divisive. It's famous for being an interesting what-if scenario, but again, Millar is a... Um, <laughs> not not for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. So, what'd you guys think of this? I think I'm one of those not for everyone's. I was going to say, I hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest like, fan of Malar. Okay. This might be the only one of his that I even like. And, and even like, that, I'm, it's... Yeah. It has a lot of interesting things to talk about, but at the end of the day, I do not believe... Sorry, guys. This is, this is not Superman. I mean, the, I, I don't... I don't see 
everything that I like about Superman, and there are a great deal of things that I like about the character, none of those are here. Yep. And I have, and I, I hate what this book does to Wonder Woman. I hate what it does to yeah. Lois Lane. But that is sort of symptomatic of how Millar kind of hates women. Millar I think, is infamously a little bit. bad in his treatment of women. Um, I I think that for it, I think it was a good pick for this discussion because we get to see. Uh, Superman is a particular kind of leader. Lex Luthor gets some interesting moments um, as he works his way up from like the scientists they cho- they uh, get to consult with on how to deal with the Superman problem to eventually becoming uh, president of the United States, and then like weirdly the sort of God Emperor of Dune type character <laughs> towards the end of the book. It, it goes um, a little off the rails there, um, but. Yeah, I just, I don't think that this book gets the character of Super... I don't think it gets what is good about Superman at all. Or it or it um, conscientiously chooses to ignore what is good about Superman. And maybe that's the point. I mean, maybe Millar is saying that what is good about Superman is a product of his American upbringing. So if you take that away, then the character you have is no longer recognizably Superman. I'm, I'm curious in a very, like, 25 words or less, what are for you the things that you think are being left out the the indelible traits because to, to me he feels like he so still it's has the that. moment it's the moment when superman decides that it would be for the best if he would just take over mm. yeah it, it is that superman. moment it's that moment where i go well no because I mean, if, if Superman wanted to, like, that's whole, his whole deal in the comics. Like, if he wanted to be the totalitarian ruler, like, no one could stop him. But he doesn't because he wants to be human and he wants to be, like, he wants to respect the things that make people human. And part of that is freedom of choice. And, you know, I think the, the sort of archetype or typical not archetypical but like the typical superman um has no delusions of grandeur like that Mm -hmm. like he wants to help but not control because if he if he controls then he's eradicating the things that he wants to protect yes which i i agree wholeheartedly and i think a great example of that is how if you disagree with superman you go get surgery and you get like a brain implant Right, and, and that's something that I'm definitely going to come back to uh, with one of our discussion questions about what, what makes a good leader and how do leaders, you know, create that sort of ability to lead. Is it through is it willingness or is it through coercion, which this would certainly be coercion. Yeah. Um, uh, anything else on this? What do you, I mean, how do you feel? I have very strong feelings about this book, Pete, and I don't want to run roughshod over the conversation. No, um, so so I, I find this book fascinating because I really like the what-if scenario that it presents. Um, I think you're completely right that him taking over is that sort of like, I think it's an intentional subversion because the last part of the book, I think, is him realizing that fact. Um, it... I, I always hold it in contrast with what I think is the greatest Superman story ever written, which is Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. I think that that, more than any other comic, captures all that is good about Superman. And a lot of that comes down to the idea that Superman is us 
in our best possible ways all the time. Um, yes. And, and so him taking over, I understand why he does it, why he thinks it is the right move. He can fix the problems if he's, you know, he's better than everyone, so he can fix the problems. So why wouldn't he try to make the world a better place for everybody by fixing the problems? But over the course of doing so, he realizes that humans can get along fine and possibly even better without a demigod ruling them. Um, because then that sort of defeats what is special about humanity. Um, so I, I, I think that I agree entirely that most of this book, it is not Superman acting like Superman, but I think that's also kind of the point. Well, and I'm totally willing to admit that I might feel more charitable towards this book if I didn't feel that it treated its secondary characters so poorly. And, and as you said, especially like, Wonder Woman. That's it's yeah and I mean also Batman like yeah mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. he gets the he gets the most like inglorious ending ever and it's like that's not true to the Batman character either <laughs> right um but mostly I think that the way that he treats Wonder Woman who is herself canonically such a strong leader is is really awful. I mean, he reduces her to like a desperate fangirl, like a desperate political uh, princess, basically. And and then uses her as a hostage. Like she, she gets right. captured and needs saving. And again, yeah. her character, she like the point of her character is how good of a leader she herself is. And Millar is just like, no, I don't care. I'm going to use her. I'm going to do whatever I want with her in service to the story and to make her just to reduce her to a plot device really upset me. Mm -hmm. Well, ditto Lois Lane who, um, you know, her, she has a less, I think, consistent characterization than Wonder Woman because she doesn't have her own book, obviously, but this is not a characterization of hers that I particularly cared for. It, it felt like the classic trying to make someone like a strong and independent female character, but also whiffing on it. Well, it's trying to make her a strong and independent female character while also saying, oh, and also she's completely overshadowed by everything that Lex Luthor does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, if there's nothing else to add on this one, um, let's get into our discussion questions. So the first thing I want to do is something a little different than usual. This would be something that would be a really great way to start a um, either a class lesson or a larger um, uh, you know, unit on leaders and leadership. It would also be good at any sort of youth events about leadership outside of a school or classroom setting. But just coming up with a quick list of what traits do effective leaders have. Um, I said at the beginning that we might end up with two separate lists, one for actual leaders and another for uh, fictional leaders. But let's just like spitball when we're talking about leaders and leadership. What do we mean? What do these people have? Uh, we can be drawing from the homeworks that we assigned or from other things as well. The two characteristics, and I'm cheating a little by saying two at once, but the two that sort of leap into my mind um, as, for what I want in a leader and Pete tell me if this is 
um, not what you're talking about. But I, I, I guess I would hope that like characteristics I would want in a leader would make a good one um, are empathy and pragmatism. And I, I say them both at the same time because I feel like the tendency is for one of those to preclude the other. Like a, a pragmatic leader can't spare the time to be empathetic or an empathetic leader, um, you know, it fails, can fail at being pragmatic. Um, and I just, I don't think that that's true. <laughs> I think that both, I think both are important because I think you have to have sympathy or you have to have empathy with the pe for the people that you are leading, but you also have to be able to be pragmatic when necessary. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Uh, and yeah, like that, that is definitely what I'm looking for here. And honestly, this is more of the, like, if you can picture us, uh, writing this on a large piece of canvas or a whiteboard or something, spitballing ideas, <laughs> <laughs> no, no right or I wrong like answers. Again, like this would be a great uh, beginning uh, assignment in a classroom or something to, to begin this discussion, to begin talking about any of these homeworks. Um, so it's basically floor open, throw ideas out as uh, you think of them. Uh, and I will do the same. Um, I think uh, one thing that is important is I don't want to say success because, you know, you can always fail and still be an effective leader. But having a record of effectiveness, perhaps, or a record of success, it doesn't have to be necessarily a record because I don't want to preclude young people. But let's say let's say effectiveness um, in a way that sort of means you can point to past things that have experience, experience yeah. um, and successful experiences to... To, to let people have faith in you. Proof of concept. <laughs> right. Proof Maybe of doing something concept. other than golfing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Um Yeah, and in in connection to in connection to the not necessarily not um never being a never having any failures on your C V point, like evidence that you learn from those failure failures. Yeah. Being like able evidence. to admit that you have had failures and to be able to do something to resolve those, either like admitting and being like, you know what, guys, I messed up. I'm going to try to do better. And this is how I'm going to do better, maybe. Yes. Being able to also say, like, this is what I learned from this failure. Yep. Because guess what? You are a human being. What you're talking about is also requires a fair amount of self-awareness and self maybe criticism um d looking into oneself and, and seeing both both the flaws and the successes so i'll just go ahead and put self-awareness yeah because i i also think that being able to say um of yourself like i don't have the ability to do this thing so i'm going to hire someone else who can like recognizing your shortcomings and being able to find a support staff that covers for those shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a good, like, second, like, part of that self-awareness uh, in a big way. Recognizing and utilizing strength in others. Yes. Um, going up to that empathy and that pragmatism idea, I, I think that there's an important part of cultivating others cultivating the people under you to be better 
than what than how they currently are. Um, yeah, in, and inspiring the desire to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cultivating uh, those under you and also inspiring the uh, desire to be cultivated. <laughs> <laughs> we sound like a bunch of flowers. <laughs> I was going to say, we sound like we're talking about bonsai trees. <laughs> <laughs> um, ability to grow bonsai trees. Definitely uh, an important trait, I think. Um, all right, so we, we have a pretty good list at this point. Do we think that this is a, a good list for both it, it, it sounds like we're all talking about very much real-world leaders, um, people that maybe are superiors or that we have had in the past at various um, jobs. Do we think that there would be any difference in fictional leaders? Um, and I, I don't mean in terms of like, well, this would be an interesting story because the leader is crazy. Uh, I was going to ask about that, Pete, because I, I think when you're talking about fictional leaders, you also kind of have to say like, well... Rather than what makes a good fictional leader, what's going to make a good story? Right, like Captain and that is... Ahab is probably a bad leader, but he's a fascinating <laughs> character. Um, right. I mean, I, I, I think I'm looking the more at that... the Mal, like who is a good leader um, within the narrative. Like he, he's a good leader for his crew, um, and he's also a fictional character. Well, but he also has a lot of the the traits that we're talking about. I mean, obviously right. he's a flawed character because he wouldn't be interesting otherwise, but he definitely inspires loyalty. He inspires people to want to be better than what they are. I think that he's a good example of um, recognizing or identifying the places where he is lacking and is good at finding people who support him well. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess, Pete, I'm interested to know what your take on this question is. Uh, like, what inspired you to think about it? Because I, my instinct would be to say that the things that make a good real-life leader are also going to make a good fictional leader. Right. I was just wondering if... I, I was thinking about it and thinking along those same tracks that you were, Martha, and just sort of had the thought of, hmm, I wonder if any of us have counterexamples where there is a character... Um, in a piece of media we've consumed, who is portrayed as a good leader. Um, again, I don't think Captain Ahab is portrayed as a good leader within the context of that book. Um, or at least the reader wouldn't think him as such. But is there anything where, where people people keep saying, oh, he's such a good leader, but then he has traits that you think wouldn't work? And, and also, to go off what you were just saying, I think it's totally possible to be a flawed living person and still be a good leader. Um, oh yeah yeah oh well yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like leadership is certainly not a uh you know metric for for absolute success or anything um but just i'm this is basically are there counter examples there might not be any that we think of right now i have kind of an interesting one that is a little bit flip-flop from what you're talking about it's a character where i felt like the narrative was trying to tell me this person was a bad leader hmm but my reaction to the character was like, no, actually, I, I don't think that's true. Um, so in the game Dragon Age 2, the character, the captain of the city watch uh, is a woman named Meredith. And the the story that Dragon Age 2 is telling is a very much a like... It's it's magic users versus non-magic users. So your whole dilemma during the game is, are you going to come down on the side of 
the mages or are you going to come down on the side of the non-mages and Meredith is sort of the figurehead of the non-mage side of the battle and I felt very strongly that the narrative was trying to lead you to showing that like this is the like the right side the quote-unquote right side to be on is the side of the mages and I just did not think that the writing for the character lined up with that narrative hmm like she came across to me as somebody who's just trying to do the best she can as her city falls apart mm-hmm. rather than being like this terrible uh unqualified commander i i think that happens a lot in video games in general i i'm thinking probably because they're similar skyrim has some sort of similar situations where in some ways i think it it tries to like get you to maybe support the the separatists or whatever um and at the end of the day, I'm like, no, screw that. Like, he's, he's not a good leader. I'm not going to support him. Um, whereas yeah. the game keeps saying, oh, no, he's a good leader. He'd be a good king. It's like, and and part of it is, yeah, they both, both sides do bad things. And that's sort of what it's trying to say. But everyone talking about how good he is. I'm just like, no, he's not. I, I don't want to support him. Um, but that's not any particular trait necessarily that he has. It's more how how he sort of, I don't know. My, my gut reaction to him. All right, well, with, with this list then, because I think this is a pretty solid list that we have, let's get into our other two discussion questions. Um, the first, and we've talked about this a bit, is what makes people follow a leader? Um, what, what are those traits that do it? And looking specifically at our homeworks, what were things that popped out at us as, as things that made people want to follow the various leaders that they, they were following? It helps if you sing a song. Just, just generally all... The... No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to make a, a joke. Attention current the... and future employees of Kaylee. Sing a song and she is on board. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the following the leader song from uh, Peter following Pan. Following the leader. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't um, know that well enough to do that. <laughs> oh, my joke flops. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um... The the first one that I had was from the Rats of Nim, which was a, a total throwaway line, where Nicodemus or Midas or whatever his Nicodemus is, Nicodemus okay um said in his flashback stories like the rats were looking for a leader and they they looked to me rather than this other rat who was sort of like co with him uh, because I was older and I think it's definitely true that age tends to rightly or wrongly confer an aura of leadership among some people well going back to our list i think that there is a a natural instinct to assume that age equals experience Mm -hmm. so somebody who is older might read as a more experienced and thus a more capable leader regardless of whether or not that's true right and and there there are plenty of counterexamples where age does not make a good leader well, I think age in and of itself doesn't mean anything unless you actually have the experience that um, people kind of think that you do. Um, whether or not Justin would have made a better leader than Nicodemus, I think, is immaterial because Nicodemus really does end up kind of treating it as a um, a council-type mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. Um, which I think is evidence that he is quite a good leader, Uh 
because he he knows he can't do it himself. Um, and also the fact that knowing that he was willing to step into that leadership role because that was what people expected. And if people were going to more easily be able to follow him, and by people I mean rats, of course, uh, <laughs> then that in and of itself is a valuable quality. Like if you need people to follow you, then you do what you have to do. If they're, if you're going to insist, it's like, oh no, Justin's going to be better, but that's going to mean that people won't follow you and you won't get the, uh, the results that you need. Then I think that recognition is also important. Certainly. I think charisma is a quality. Um, well, and, and Mal certainly is written as a charismatic character. Oh Um, yeah. Simon too, in a, in a way. Simon is almost charismatic despite himself. Right. Like, I Dashing can never good decide. looks help quite a bit. Yeah, I can <laughs> never decide if that show wanted me to believe... Because I, I, I feel like the show wanted you to say, like, oh, he he does kind of put people off. He's not that likable. Meanwhile, I'm going, no, no, he's the cutest guy in that ship. What are you talking about? Um, But he does not have the kind of natural charisma that Mal does. Which is why in this episode where he does step into that leadership role, he does it based on his other traits and almost in spite of his um, written lack of charisma. Uh, let's put it like that. Yeah, I wrote down, yeah. yeah, in the notes I wrote down, um, what did I write down? Like intelligence and cap- yeah, capability, and, capability and intelligence. Like he proves to the crew that he knows what he's doing by being able to say, this is everything I know about this hospital this is everything I know about this job. And by that, he is able to impress them and impress upon them that he's uh, knows what he's doing and his plan will be worth following. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the Superman uh, book, we obviously, we have two sort of directions that he goes. Kaylee, you mentioned this earlier. I think it was you, Kaylee, um, about the coercive side of Comrade Superman. Um, yes. Where he is implanting brain implants into all the dissidents. Um, you want to talk about any further on that? Yeah, it's it's sort of one of those situations where are you really being a leader if nobody's afraid to speak up, change the status quo because they know they're going to be punished or have their minds changed, in this sense, a literal mind change. <laughs> right. Um I, I don't feel like that is a great leadership quality because it's not it's not people wanting to follow you. It's people being forced to follow you. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a case where you are a leader, but you're not a good one because, again, you're not sort of allowing the people under you to to try to improve themselves or to try to find a better solution than than you can find. Because they don't yeah. have well, that free will. And, you know, I think and that is really greatly mirrored in the Rats of Nymph, where the whole reason that Jenner leaves is because he wants to stay with the status quo. And Nicodemus is like, no, we need to improve ourselves. We need to force ourselves to be better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's also telling, you know, based on that, where... Most of the rats stay with Nicodemus because they they want to be better. They want to improve themselves. Whereas, like, a handful of rats go Hmm. and leave with Jenner. And then they end up dead. Yep. (laughs) I I didn't even think about that angle that 
that Nicodemus, as a good leader, is able to keep most of the rats with him. Um, again, maybe because he's um, uh, allowing leadership to to flow through the council rather than simply through him as a leader. But um, for for many reasons, the splitters weren't many. Mm-hmm. No, I think there was like I think six, seven, seven, yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I feel like if you have to force people to follow you rather than having you them choose to follow you that's sort of a mark of a bad leader mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot of media where that is almost the trope like you know the yelling captain whom everyone hates but they follow orders out of fear and who likely is going to end up fragged by the end of the whatever well, and there's always, I feel like the, like, would you rather rule through fear or love is such an archetypical question in leadership narratives. Going back and to Machiavelli. Usually, yeah, usually the answer, the, the story answer ends up being love because then they, then you don't have to, like, worry about keeping your people in line all of the time forever. <laughs> they do it themselves. <laughs> Which is great, because I think if I remember my Machiavelli correctly, his response is, obviously, fear. <laughs> um, yeah, how'd things turn out for him? He did okay. He lived to a ripe old age <laughs> and was I'm, pretty rich I'm, about it. I'm, I was going to say, I'm bad at history, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they all did okay for quite some time after they all died. Uh, long term, it might not be the best solution. Nowadays, I, it's probably not the best solution. Um, at that age well, and at that time, it might have been okay. And I feel like t- after we finish, spoiler alert for all of our listeners, we're recording this on Sunday night. Um, how many of us are about to go watch Game of Thrones where that's like the entire narrative of the whole show? Well, there you have three <laughs> options, fear, love, and dragons. Uh, and in that case, dragons are obviously <laughs> the superior answer. I was, well, aren't dragons in and of themselves ruling through fear? Yes. <laughs> and dragon fire, Yes. <laughs> I will not be. I kind of fell off of that wagon. I don't know if I want back on. <laughs> That's a discussion for another podcast. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, I the one thing I do want to get into on this broad discussion question before we go into our last one is the issue of gender because. Oh, good. That's what I was about to change the. That's what I was about to move into. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Um, Mrs. Frisbee is the only... Again, we, we were talking about how Wonder Woman is criminally, uh, criminally portrayed in Red Sun. Um, so that aside, Mrs. Frisbee is the only woman in any of these stories who is in a leadership role. And even then, she's in the leadership role of her family. That's not to diminish that role, but it's, it is different than ruling a, um, a government or a collection of hundreds of rats it's a much smaller unit um so obviously i'm not saying that gender is what makes a good or bad leader because that's a stupid thing to say and think um but it's interesting that in our various medias it tilted so heavily towards men Uh, martha i'm guessing you've got some thoughts on this i do actually i mean i think part of it is that we chose media created by men Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Rats of and, Nim was created in 71, and a lot of its gender politics and dynamics feels like it. True. And also, of the um, the other two pieces, we picked things that are by creators who historically 
have mm-hmm. some trouble dealing with female characters. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah, I want to point again to the example of Wonder Woman. I think that one of the uh, the key points of her character is that she's a leader that people follow. She's a you know she's a war leader. She's a general. Uh, she's somebody that people love and respect almost effortlessly. Um, so to see her reduced in Red Sun, I thought was uh, symptomatic of the overall quality of that work in general. Um, I don't think we picked bad homework. Um, I, I just think that we, I don't know that gender as it pertains to leadership is a, is something we can necessarily talk about in relation to the meter in relationship to the homework that we chose because of the creators attached to them and the issues that they have. My, my one additional sidebar to that is it's, it's far much of media in the past hundred years has been created by men. Even all the great work being created by women tends to fall into can I yeah can I make one quick can I make one quick editorial change to the statement you just made yep I would just add mainstream media totally duly noted and changed um yeah but basically what I'm trying to get at is the idea that if if we're picking various works unless we're actively thinking about the works that we're choosing we're likely going to have an overabundance of male leaders and so therefore, we unintentionally, because we weren't thinking about it, did not pick a, a fairly representative slice um, of homeworks. I, I'm very glad, Martha, that you right. did pick Mrs. Frisbee. I think it's just important <laughs> to, to recognize that maybe you should, uh, you know, like be intentional in your selectings um, if you're going to use this as a, a, a larger theme with multiple assignments um, or even a, a one-off with a couple options look out for works that do have, you know, both men and women in important leadership roles. Um, and also maybe don't have two thirds of the assignments be by people who notedly have issues with writing female characters. With gender role. Yeah. 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 And that was on us. I mean, that was on us for not mm-hmm. um, more con- seriously considering uh because I, I, I just I don't know that we can fairly address any kind of substantive discussion about how gender plays into this just because we didn't choose a representative uh, field of homework. Um, it is a question worth exploring, um, but I think it would take different media than what we chose to do so. And it just goes to show how easy it is to accidentally be non-representative. And that's always a good thing to remember. Yup. Um, any other things we want to talk about for what makes people follow a leader before we go into our final discussion question? All right. So it, uh... <laughs> <laughs> last discussion question then is, is it dangerous to glorify leaderships, uh, leadership? And I'm, I think I'm just going to sort of leave it there. I won't pick up the sidebar that I uh, foreshadowed earlier in the episode. Um, the thing that jumps out for me in this is Superman in a big way. Um, obviously, it is is the problem there. Uh, but there's also the issue of uh, Pietro Roslov, who is um, Stalin's illegitimate son and was groomed for the leadership role um, before Superman came along. 
um, and has issues because of it. Um, but because of Superman coming along and him sort of getting knocked off the pedestal. Um, I think Red Sun very clearly highlights the problems with glorifying some leaders, but simultaneously Lex Luthor is almost glorified, although he is traditionally a villain, so it's hard to tell how much a villain is being glorified if he's being portrayed in a positive light. Uh, Martha, you mentioned he got sort of god emperor at the end of it, which I guess could be glorification. Um, so yeah, dangers of glorifying leadership. I think the danger of glorifying leadership is that it prevents us from being critical. Um, mm. Again, see and Superman I, I, and his uh, the brain implants. Exactly. And the, the um, I think the instinct is to, I guess, defensively protect the leadership, especially if it's leadership we choose, like, say, an elected official. Like, there becomes a sense of, like, well, if, if I criticize what they're doing, it makes me look bad because I voted for them or I... Be, like led somehow to them being in power so that makes it look like my mistake um but i don't think that a leader can be effective if they don't know or recognize or understand when they do things that are worthy of criticism mm -hmm. and this may be because i'm used to the idea of living in a democracy um <laughs> <laughs> right right um, but i think i think a leader has to be open to open to listening to the people that they're leading um and you know glorifying them sort of puts them above that in i think a dangerous way it goes it goes back to that idea of recognizing when you've made a mistake and being able to learn from that if you're glorified and no one is telling you that you're making mistakes, then how can you be better? Right. Let, let's pull back up even, even further from there and talk about, rather than simply glorifying leaders, talking about glorifying the idea of leadership, which is something that I think we do have a tendency to, to put a lot very much emphasis on. Um, is it dangerous to glorify that idea to, to maybe give additional weight or credence to it? Um, and do we see that coming out in any of our homeworks? I guess I'm not sure what is wrong. So here, here I guess is where I'm thinking where... Clarify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the best example I can think of this is looking more at like the, the dark side of leadership dynamics. And, and here's where like the Pietor Roslov thing comes up because he was somebody who was trained early on to be in a leadership role and had that sort of ripped out from under him. And because in his mind that was the thing that he was supposed to be, the fact that he could no longer do that sort of caused him to spiral darkly and, and do things that he later regretted. Um, I, I think that most of the characters in the medias we've chosen are the both the protagonists and also the good guys. So I'm going to guess that they're not really going to be coming out in a way that is, is negative or negative to the idea of, you know, basically is it, is it too, too bad to put too much emphasis on leaders and leadership? Well, I think Pyotr gets, I think Roslov gets mad 
I would simplify I would simplify his motivations down even more. It's less that he's denied a position of leadership and more that he's denied a thing that he was promised. Mm. I think he would have been resentful about anything like any sort of legacy that he was promised that was then taken away. I don't know that I would say it was specific to the leadership position. Mm -hmm. I think it was just like, I was promised this thing. I was promised this piece of power or this legacy, and now I'm not going to get it. Um, I, I'm not sure that that has much to do with the idea of leadership rather than it has a lot to do with the idea of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I, I guess my, my, as, as I was hearing you say that, I was thinking of the other two medias and Nim actually does a phenomenal job of showing alternative types of leadership, both mm-hmm. in terms of Mrs. Frisbee, but also the rats are basically governed by council. Um, you know, we, we talk about Nicodemus because he's our POV character into the rats, but, but really they're, they're a council based group. The birds have no real leadership to speak of other than the wise owl that they turn to for advice, but, you know, he's not it's a just leader for advice. of the birds. Right, he's like the wise yeah. old sage. Um, yeah, they're not bringing him tokens of appreciation or anything. He's just there. Right, right, and he's not telling them and what to do. And sometimes he gives advice and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> Depends on the mood. Um, and, and so that's really what I was sort of thinking of and, and getting at like superman like a, a cap a, a ship in our traditional way of thinking absolutely needs a captain mal is a good captain um superman in in this book takes on positions of leadership and that's seen as like there are downsides to him doing it but it's what he's doing in this book as a character um but rats of nim does play with multiple styles and types of leadership many of which are non not what we culturally you know, gravitate towards or favor or think of. Um, and I think that makes it even more useful as an assignment to be thinking about this topic because you can get into non-hierarchical leaderships or non, um, you know, singular points of leadership. Um, and, and that's a discussion for a different show. Uh, next episode, we are not doing our standard episode. We are instead going to do a summer extravaganza extra credit episode where we'll be talking about um, probably uh, the various pop cultures that we've consumed this summer, whether it be books, comics, Game of Thrones, <laughs> other other things in this <laughs> universe of peak TV. Um, doing a nice summer wrap up before school starts up again in the fall. Uh, we've also got yep. one additional programming update. This is going to be the last episode with Kaylee, um, saying bon voyage to her. So, Kaylee, do you want to say any, any uh, few things? Yes, sure. Um, I would like to thank you all for tuning in um, and listening. I probably won't go very far, um, as I, it might be more of a, a indefinite hiatus, um, and I might even come back as a guest. Who knows? Yep, Pete and I were uh, playing with the idea of having some guest uh, guest hosts join us. So you'll have some uh, new voices, new perspectives to listen to, to tune into. And we were, I think we're optimistic that Kaylee will be able to bounce in for a couple of guest spots. Yes. 
So you won't be rid of her for too long. <laughs> that sucks for you guys. But no, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our very first guest host is going to be happening in the episode after next. So you'll have one fun extra credit episode to wrap up the summer. And then we're going to go into uh, the, the school year in the fall with our new rotating cast of characters in our third chair. That's gonna do it for this episode i think unless either of you have anything you want to nope let's wrap it up cool all right you can find us on itunes soundcloud stitcher google play anywhere else fine podcasts are found our website is homeworkpodcast.com where we are writing blog posts posting episodes uh we've in the past couple episodes been doing some nice supplemental editions. So definitely check out what we're writing there in between episodes. Um, you'll get a lot of cool additional ideas and uh, avenues that we weren't able to explore in the episode itself. You can find us on Twitter at DYDYH Podcast. That's DYDYH Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook or email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, we'll read anything on air if you want us to. You can also email, tweet, or Facebook us ideas for homework assignments or for future topics. Uh, finally, please rate and review us on those various places you find us, specifically iTunes. Uh, that's how the iTunes store algorithm makes us be more visible to more people, and we get to grow our listener base. Great. And with that, going to say thanks for listening. Class is dismissed. Well, wait. Class Pete, where can they find you on the dismissed. web? <laughs> oh, you know what? That's a really great question. Um, you can find me at Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O 3000. I'm talking about politics and pop culture. Martha, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at MagicalMartha, where I tweet about my job as a librarian, uh, my really cute guinea pigs and anything that I have read or watched that has elicited strong feelings. Spoiler alert, everything that I read or watch elicits strong feelings. <laughs> and Kaylee, where can they find you? You can find me at Insta on Instagram at Tricky Lemon. Great. And with that, class is dismissed. For real this time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>